Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tim Cannell. Tim, how are you doing? Not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Thank you, my friend. Me and Tim have both had eventful days. We've just been chatting off air. What I did mention to you, Tim, is I'm actually recording this from a hotel, but I've got my noise-cancelling Apple fancy new fairly new Apple AirPods in, so we'll see if Apple are as good as they make out. If you can't hear anything, then, then great. But if you wonder why I keep muting while you're talking, that's probably why. But I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> all good. Yep, we're all good. I can barely hear anything, so it's all good. Brilliant, brilliant. So Tim is, Tim is the Director of Cybersecurity Services Delivery, and he's a senior consultant at Pulsar Security, loads and loads of SAM certifications, OFSEC certifications, Pulsar Security, a tight team, security guy, guys and girls or just guys and gals, oh yeah, guys and girls, cool, very good, <laughs> bit of gender balance, so yeah, there's nine, right. nine, 19 on the team, listen, for everyone listening, Tim's got a really unique story, he's progressed in an unorthodox, unique way basically comes from a sales background that's progressed right to director level in offensive security zone. So there's a lot we can all learn. The story's motivational, inspirational, and it shows you how far you can go if you're prepared to think outside the box and pay forward and do things a bit differently. But Tim, I've done you a little bit of a, an intro there. I can never do it as, as well as you. So if you don't mind telling me and the listeners who you are and what you've been up to, buddy. Yeah, and I appreciate the intro there. I'm just another pen tester. Really, that's what it comes down to. Why I've been able to progress as fast as I have, I think it's just the perseverance and curiosity. At Pulsar, as you alluded to it, I'm the director of services here. And really that includes everything from pre-sales through actual testing, delivery, report writing, report delivery, and any sort of validation and post-report delivery work that we've agreed to do to make sure that when the customer says that the project is done, they feel like they are in a more secure place than they were when we first had that initial pre-sales discussion. I've been here almost for five years, again, a very tight-knit group of people, which is why I've been here for five years. If you look at my background, it's the longest I've ever been at a company. And it's because of the flexibility and the opportunity the company provides. As you've said, at most companies with what my background is in sales, five years later, you wouldn't see me as a director of anything, right? So unless it was maybe in sales. So that's a little bit about me, the company, what I do. And as you said, trying to pay it forward as much as I can and making sure that the things that I do and discuss on LinkedIn or even on this podcast here will help those who might find themselves in a similar situation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Tim. And for everyone listening... I'll put it, if it's okay with you, Tim, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes because I know you're a regular content creator. But I was just taking a few notes as you were speaking then. And when I actually unpacked what you said, so you're doing a lot of the you're doing a lot of the stuff on LinkedIn that I talk about in terms of making your profile and your resume 3D. I think as well what's interesting is you're doing you just said that you're doing pre-sales. I know you're doing some obviously doing you're doing the low-level technical stuff, you're doing obviously pen testing, report writing, post-delivery work. So you're doing a lot there and you're utilizing a lot of skills. So that would probably be, without putting words in your mouth, that would probably be testament to why you have progressed so so far. Would that be fair? Yeah, and I've been 
fortunate from my background to be able to leverage a lot of the skills from a sales standpoint that allows me to do it. Having a very much, I, I don't want to burn people's ears here, but if you have a traditional sales band conversation or go through the sales discussion and you understand why a customer would be interested in from there, being able to shift it to, okay, let's talk about the scope, what you're really worried about, and actually being able to showcase the things that we can do to help the customer. That's really allowed me to get to where I am. So in a lot of ways, I'm doing what you would see in most companies, a couple of people doing, which is why I've been able to get to this position of director. But there are members of the team. It's not like it's just me. There's a couple of us that do a lot of the same type of work, but it all depends on the customer and the scope where, of course, when it comes to technology, some of us are stronger in certain skill sets than others. We, Because we're a tight-knit group, we're able to be interchangeable and malleable based on what the customer is looking for and what we're hoping to, to help them with yeah. if they did move forward and do some work with us. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think as well, Tim, what you're describing there is a bit of a, bit of a USP. It's, I think if you want to move forward faster than normal and stand out and progress quicker, if you're just doing what everyone else is doing, then that's probably going to be quite tricky. I know from a recruitment standpoint, as much as I enjoy doing the podcast, I know if I do the podcast, I know if I post on LinkedIn, and if I, do, I, know I'm, I know I'm being different to what other recruiters are doing. Right. And I've seen the benefits of that over the years. And that's what you're describing there. So I think for anyone listening as well, if they want to accelerate the career progression, if they can really, like you said there, you talked about sales, but essentially if they can really harness and refine those communication skills, most cybersecurity engineers, cloud security engineers, pen testers, they're probably not really prioritizing the communication skills and self-development list. So if you can do that plus everything else, you've probably got a chance to steal a bit of a march and be further ahead than you would otherwise be, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And on LinkedIn every day, you see everybody saying they're trying to get into the industry. And there's a there's an issue when it comes to the entry-level supply and the entry-level demand for a lot of these companies. And I was able to get into this because I leveraged my past experience and talking to the company in a way that... I could use what I knew to add value while in tandem being able to start my cybersecurity career was the way that I got into the company. People who have experience, whether it's professional or just soft skills, that is really lacking in a lot of the cybersecurity space today, just be able to explain what it is you're doing or actually understand and be able to speak to a vulnerability to somebody who doesn't understand tech at all and for them to understand what it is you're talking about at a high level, those are very valuable skills. You hear a lot about how the cybersecurity team, if you will, IT security at a lot of companies, they don't really get a lot of buy-in from the company when it comes to fixing and when it comes to spending money to secure the infrastructure. And I think a lot of it has to go with back to not being able to really explain risk in a way that the business can understand. If you can understand how to do that, use those skills and tie them to your hard or I guess your more conventional cybersecurity skills, and you're going to find more opportunity because you're able to expand and be almost a Swiss army knife for a lot of these companies, especially the ones that are smaller and they're looking to start out. Definitely. There's a couple of things I really want to 
they can get under the bonnet of their team. You mentioned into your companies. Can you explain? So for anyone listening that is itching to break in, that's itching to get started, that is wanting a company to show them the ropes and get that commercial experience, can you explain in absolute step-by-step detail how you got in? Yeah, that's a good question. So Polestar Security as an organization has been around for 20-ish years, 25 years, and highly technical team, very much focused on how to break things, how to exploit things. That only gets you so far when you're a business, right? You have to find ways to make money and you have to find ways to be sustainable if the revenue streams that you have currently might not be infinite. So... Pulsar Security decided to start building some tools to expand their total addressable market, right? To be able to sell more products to their customers and to find more ways to make revenue. And I came in as the first member of the team who actually had that experience. So before I was at Pulsar Security, I did do about eight-ish years in startup technology sales. So a lot of venture capital-backed companies Half of them have been acquired. It was very much a grind every day. But because it was a small company and because of what I was doing in sales, I was able to get really close to the business. So by being able to get close to the business, I could understand really how a business thinks and how it needs to operate when it is looking to find new markets, make more revenue, look for ways to, again, grow their total addressable market. I went and talked to a CEO and one of our directors at the time and just talk them through what they're doing today and what they're trying to do. And they were building a solution that I had indirect experience with, but because it was a piece of technology and I understood how technology sales fundamentally worked, I could go help them go out and actually build a business model, build different ways that we could go out and potentially capture market share with the new technology. And since then it's snowballed. Now there's multiple products, there's services tied into products. And still now, although I'm talking to you from a cybersecurity perspective, doing all the pen testing, I still get pulled into a lot of the meetings that are how the company is going to push forward. Just basic conversations from as small as air quotes, small things like mission statements all the way through to the next market we're going to go after based off of what we're trying to sell. By adding those, by being able to take what I've done in the past and adding that to where I wanted to go and just the ability to persevere and be persistent with it, that's how I was able to get into the company. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. So you've essentially, you've really looked at it from the business owner, the employer's perspective and thought, what, what can I give them? What is, it's not, you've not gone up there and go, can I have a job? You've literally gone, what can I give them? Well, you've not pinged your CV, your resume across and asked for something. You've literally flipped it on its head and thought, what can I give them first? You've really looked at it from their point of view, I feel like, which has really helped you. And that's everything. I don't care if we're all in sales. I don't care if you actually have a title that's a sales or if you're trying to find a job. You're either selling a product or you're selling yourself. And the way to take your skill set and use it in a way that benefits the company is why you are going to get hired or why you're going to find that next customer, that next sale, because people are going to make decisions based off of what's best for them. Unless it's somebody who 
is a lifelong friend or a piece of a family member and they have this special connection with you which 99.9 percent of us don't have when it comes to the business world you have to find ways to show how you as a person or you as a product is going to help the host company yeah you're so right mate and I've even noticed little things like I've on an email, I've stopped using, I've avoided using the word I for like the first few sentences. And I found it makes people respond to me quicker. I've really noticed it. It sounds really harsh, but like you said, people want to know, how's this helping me? Like that, that it sounds really harsh, but it's how we're wired. And yeah, no, thanks, Tim. I think that's really helpful. The next thing I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned there about explaining vulnerabilities, essentially articulating vulnerabilities, being able to explain risk. If I'm sat here now as a listener thinking, God, that guy, Tim, he, he talks really well, he's communicating really well, but do you know what? I've been sat here working remotely on my own, I have a team meeting once a month, and that's the only real communication I have. I don't really see too many people. I feel like I haven't communicated effectively for ages. Like That all sounds great, Tim, but how can someone refine, harness, and get those communication skills where they need to be? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's verbal, which is challenging if you're in that scenario, but there's also things like LinkedIn. You can make blog posts. I personally believe that there's a huge gap right now between entry-level content on how to do something in cyber and advanced. If you can, if you can get past that first 5 to 10% of knowledge, there's a lot of content there. But from 10% to 100%, it's very difficult to find content that's valuable and that's actually pointed to what you're specifically looking for. And the reason why is because after that 10%, everything starts to get more complicated and it starts to matter what type of technologies you're using, you know, what type of hardware and infrastructure you have, what type of connections you have, like all these other variables need to basically be taken into consideration, which makes it very difficult to build content that can speak to the masses. But I would recommend just starting on things like LinkedIn, posting once in a while and posting, making sure that your posts, again, are speaking to the audience. Getting technical is great, but again, if you can speak to it more at a high level, you're going to get more people engage with that because they can understand what you're talking about but if you get more down to individual commands you might not see as much reaction to your blogs or your content because people don't get it right so i think the best way to uh, to judge whether or not people understand it is your engagements say on linkedin how many people are actually giving you a thumbs up or i personally like how many people write or select the insightful response right i find things that are insightful and i usually just put a thumbs up so i know that if let's say i have 10 percent insightful probably it's more like 20 percent yeah so that way i know i'm adding something that is valuable that people can actually take away and understand and hopefully use that as a stepping stone to get where they're trying to get to yeah no thank you mate by the way for people listening if you're not posting value-adding content on LinkedIn, I promise you from an employability factor, certainly long-term, if not already, you're definitely missing a trick. You could be sat there as the best cloud security engineer on the planet. You could just configure Azure and AWS so it's so secure, it's unbelievable. 
But if all you've got is a resume, I still think in two, three years' time, you're not going to get the opportunity you deserve, if not already. So I think definitely, and like you say, it's a great confidence booster. It improves your writing skills. And also it helps the community as well. I say it's just it's just a yeah it's just a kind of win winner as I see it all round. I think we might have answered some of this Tim, but moving on to my. By the way, we're not. I'm not. We, I had a plan for the show, but I'm not really sticking to it with you, Tim. I'm just asking. It's off. <laughs> I'm, asking you, I'm asking you whatever pops into my head, but but yeah. So I think what one of the things I did want to I did want to ask you is we might have covered it already, but whether it's pen testers, pen testing, offensive security, which I know you're in the thick of, or cybersecurity professionals in general, what do you think holds people back and stops them from being the best version of themselves? Great question. When I think about this and talk about it regularly with the people that I speak to on a one-on-one basis, it's confidence. It's confidence and it's perseverance. It took me personally a long time to understand this, but when you're on the internet, you can be whoever you want to be. So what is there to be worried about? Be just talk confidently, write confidently, and you're going to see a lot of more a lot more opportunity. I've had people recently reach out to me and say, "I'd like you to work with me." And then they said I was I started to write this 6 months ago and mm. I did, deleted it instead. And then I my first thought was that you just wasted 6 months. Because I just said, as soon as they sent the message, I said, let's do it. Let's, let me know what you need help with. We can start doing it. So it's all about being confident and knowing or at least understanding that you're not going to be right. And that in this industry, in, in most industries, in, in life in general, you don't really fail unless you stop, right? Unless you quit. You either succeed or you learn. So if you don't, if you're not successful the first time, let's say you go for a job, you don't get it. You post something, you get a bunch of people that start spamming you because you put something out there that the community doesn't agree with, what have you. It's learn from it and then do it again and move on. But when you do that same mistake twice is when you should be worried, right? Everyone has, everyone can fail or learn, right? Let's leave failure out of this because that means you gave up altogether. But if you don't succeed the same way twice, then you got to start looking at the way that you're learning and the way that you're trying to make yourself better and go back to the drawing board and come up with some better ideas. Definitely, mate. And a few things just to add on that. I think a great way to look at it is is what's the worst that can happen. If you put a post out and, and no one likes it, listen, if it feels like a big deal in your head, I promise you, no one's even... In fact, the fact no one's liked it, it's probably not gone down many people's feeds anyway because that's how the LinkedIn algorithm works. So no one's bothered. But I can remember what it was like to... When I first started posting, I used to be like, oh, is anyone... Oh. And now, because I literally post between once and four times a day, so it's just, yeah, fine, on to the next one. But before, it was a massive deal. And it like, if no one liked it... And sometimes I'd sit there for like 45 minutes writing a post, zero traction. And... and but I don't think anyone else is really even noticing. And I think it's, I think sometimes it's like you said about that person. It's really, I feel really bad that person has had to write something to you, wait six months and write back. It's what's the worst that can happen? I think sometimes just get in the habit of doing it. And you know what? If your intentions are good, I don't think there's, look, if you're out to do stuff malicious or something like that, then that's a different ballgame. But if your intentions are good and you're trying to progress forward and you want to add value and you want to help and you understand that it's a two way thing. If you're doing all that, I don't think there's too far wrong you can go, do you, mate? Like it's, you can't go too far wrong, can you? 
No, I don't think you can at all. Like you said, unless the only way that you could is if you just, again, had malicious intentions, which I don't think anybody who comes on any sort of social media platform or just in any sort of professional environment is going to do. And if they do, they probably shouldn't be there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but the, in the other side of this, so that's confidence, right? The other side of it, I think, is I see this a lot. And if we're going to go back to getting into the industry, I don't think anybody can debate that the entry-level guidelines to get into cybersecurity are flawed, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, but you can either sit there and talk about why they're flawed, or you can adjust yourself and get the position. This might give us some negative feedback from this, Thomas, but yeah, go on, go on. The, other, the other thing that I see a lot is people who say they won't do anything for free. Now, I want to be very specific when I say this, that I don't believe anybody should do free work. You shouldn't be doing work free for a company unless they're paying you in ways that aren't in dollars and cents. Maybe it's training, maybe it's resources. There's other things you can get paid with, but... If you are going to be offered a job opportunity and you have to do a project, let's say, and I've done this before, so I've done it twice now. I got one job and I didn't get the other. So I've been on both sides of it. You should do it. And the reason why you should do it is because worst case scenario, you don't get the job. You can still have experience understanding how to do a project that a company is hiring you to do. And it's more ways you can build up your skill set in your stories, which I think are more important than anything else, having a couple of stories you can tell. And also it gives you the ability to ask for more feedback if you are not offered the position. And I believe that if anybody gets told no and does not ask for feedback or just say why, then they're doing themselves a disservice. Because yeah, yeah. I don't believe you can wait. If you don't get the position, and you don't and you don't get feedback right you can make the argument that it was a waste of your time but if you can get some feedback as to why you weren't qualified because it might not be that you weren't qualified it could be that again they hired somebody internally or they there's a, a number of different reasons why you might not have been hired but you automatically do think you're not qualified you got to get that feedback because it's so important for you on your journey as you're learning new ways and new skill sets that a company is hiring for, which is important. You need to understand why you didn't get it so you can start excelling at a lot of those skills you might not have yet. Yeah, no, thanks, Tim. I say it's, it's how I think it's almost this is almost getting into kind of mindset how you view things because you can go and apply for a job, not get the answer you want. You can look at it and go, I've built a relationship with a business owner within the industry. It's a small community. Everyone knows everyone in some way. You've been through the process. So you've got interviewing skills. You've maybe learned something in the interview. You might have done some kind of test, which has got you to learn new things. So you can look at that really positively, or you can look at it completely the other way and go, waste of my time. So I think a lot of it is down to mindset. But I know one thing for sure is if you're positive, you're more energized, you achieve more, you're more productive, you're nicer to be around, more doors open. If you're negative, everything I've just said, just the reversal. So, yeah, I think it's the way you the way you look at things, definitely. The other thing as well you could do, Tim, is if that's your experience, great LinkedIn post. I'm, I'm not saying 
I think if there's something you've learned, you can maybe document that into some kind of post or you can document it into your learnings or you can be used as content. I'm going to keep, I keep harping on to, about this personal brand thing for cybersecurity professionals because I just think it's, I just think it's, I just think it's massive. Like when you see like, you'll know there's some names online that probably you and I see all the time. And I just think that person, that guy or girl, they must be, covered with opportunities because they're doing their job but also their personal brand will be an extension of their employer's brand and employers yeah. are really starting to tap into this now it makes your employer's acquisition client acquisition better would they rather have 30 people on the team that have all got amazing personal brands or 30 people on the team that hardly go online from a social media presence it's like the companies are really i've got a few clients that are like really like tom like senders people with mega personal brands that they're really into it and i get it it's commercially switched on and there's more value there right for a company for people who don't know sales and marketing is exceptionally expensive and a lot of the time it's not black and white with where your money is going how it's spending what your return is on it so if you're looking to find a way to differentiate yourself again having a brand where people are coming to your company to buy your services or products because of you as a person, that's value. That's value and that's ways to do cost savings in other parts of the business that is, is valuable to a company. Yeah, definitely. Another thing, it's no, it's obviously, it's no secret that there's been massive layoffs with the big tech companies, but I don't know if, the, I don't know if this is a bit controversial to say, Tim, but I'll, I, again, I'm just going to say it anyway. I'm sure there's been some talented people laid off and it's been tough but i just wonder anyone with a seriously dynamite like on point personal brand i'd be interested to see how many got laid off because i don't think it will be many because i I honestly think employers no matter what i think we'll want to keep hold of them i think it really as an employee i think it puts a force field around you in terms of a job security thing as well, because I'm, think, I'm thinking, I'm not, I won't name them. I'll probably tell you after the pod, but after we stop recording. <laughs> but there's this one company, there's one company I'm thinking of, right? And they've got a big internal recruitment team and they didn't lay off one person. And I know he's a good recruiter, but I also know his personal brand is exceptional. And I think that would have helped him. Oh, I think so. And worst case scenario is if you do get let go, it's not going to be too long until you're picked up again. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And I couldn't agree more. Okay, mate, moving on before we get too controversial. So any advice, obviously cybersecurity moves at lightning pace, moves really fast. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about doing things online and passionate about career progression and self-development is because I feel that if we're all not passionate, I feel that it's so easy for people to get left behind. But if it's flipped the other way, you can have a really exciting career and you become hot property and you've got recruiters like me chasing you all the time and it's a load of fun. So right. the question is, what's the easiest way or do you have any advice for picking up new skills? Do you have any learning hacks or learning styles that you think could be advantageous for the listeners? Yeah, that's a really good question. I Yeah, so for finding new skills, I am a very strong supporter and believer that the best way to get skills is to try to perform exploits against live targets and it could be something a live target doesn't have to mean that it's 
IP or proprietary to a company, you literally could spin up an application or a network yourself. That would be live, in my opinion. And just start poking around, right? I found the easiest way to learn how something is not supposed to work is to learn how it is supposed to work, right? The first step in pen testing, in my opinion, is you have to figure out how to break things. Now, breaking things doesn't mean that they're exploitable. It could be a QA issue, right? Especially if you're talking about applications and such. But a misconfiguration or a broken piece of code, without that, you're never going to have an exploit. And you could say broken isn't just bits and bytes, ones and zeros. It could also be just awareness as a human, right? And that's things like phishing and taking advantage of different processes that companies aren't pushing to their employers or they're not enforcing internally around security controls. You got to figure out the right way to do things, right? Before you can figure out the wrong way to do things. I'm a huge proponent and supporter of also of doing a lot of web app stuff. I should say applications, not web applications, because applications, it's a much bigger market and there's also still surprisingly a lot of combined apps that aren't hosted on the web. But I think that if you wanted to pick up some real strong skills, do bug bounty to start and focus on the client side of the application. The reason why is because the client side, you can see what's going on because it's happening as you're interacting with the browser. So you're looking at things like the protocol itself, the headers, you're looking at the input fields, you're looking at functions that might be exploitable within it. And then from there, continuing to learn how to take that from client to server and then server to database and then from server to assembly and you're getting deeper and closer back to the operating system. And from there, as you go deeper too, you're fundamentally learning how applications work and you're also increasing your knowledge and also your paycheck. Because as you go further away from level seven or layer seven, the application and closer down to the network, and into the actual hardware itself. Their bugs are a lot more harder to exploit, but if you find them, they're worth a lot more money. That would be my recommendation, is if you wanna get into a certain area and you don't know where to start, do that. But also, I believe that application is in the biggest demand, not just application in the sense where it's an e-com site or it's a content management system or something. We're seeing a lot more requests for companies that build software. So their IP, they want us to test that. And they're doing that because their customers and their regulatory bodies of the industries that they sell to are requiring them to. We're also not going to make any sales. Supply chain gets gets more and more severe and those attacks keep happening. People are starting to focus that use case and... In my opinion, that's one of the only cybersecurity services use cases that you can argue is a profit center, which goes back to trying to find ways to get in and actually be a part of something that is going to increase the bottom line, right? Increase increase the revenue for the company. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Supply chain attacks massive. There was this big supply chain attack either this week or last week, and I can't think for the life of me who it it was now but i know there was because i saw something on linkedin but yeah no thanks man. by the way you're so right on that hardware stuff on the 
when you get more low level. I worked on some hardware hacking roles on the West Coast, and the, the money those guys and girls are on is insane. It's, oh yeah, um, yeah. If you're getting down near the silicon, like there they are. Yeah, it's it's frightening. But again, very good at what they do. Extremely, extremely specialised. There isn't that many of them, even in the whole of America. And they're like a really tight community and they all know each other and yeah, no, it's pretty cool. So yeah, anyone that's into that, the money's great. And it's again, very in demand and very specialized. So just unpacking what you said there, I think it's key to, to get your own home lab set up as well, isn't it? Do all this, do this stuff. And it doesn't need to cost a lot of money. And I know we're talking about pen testing a lot, but regardless of what work whatever work you're doing across the cybersecurity spectrum i think having a lab set is essential have you got any thoughts or hints or tips on home labs yeah so i use vmware virtualbox you can use that for free i would recommend at the very least getting a virtual setup with a windows box and a linux box if you could do that that at least allows you to test on different hosts that aren't attached uh, that aren't actually your host your physical host so if things go wrong that's okay and i use at my house i have mainly use windows with windows subsystem for linux so i can have linux and i have windows but Mm -hmm. it's crucial you have to be able to at least create some of the technologies or the environments that companies are looking to hire for, right? So if you, see, for example, if you see on a job rack, let's say they're looking for a SIM, right? Someone who knows SIM and let's say Splunk, just to keep it easy. Make sure you have at your house, you can get up to, I believe it's a gig or I believe it's a gig per day. Data you can use the Splunk, set it up. Set it up on a virtual machine through VirtualBox and start playing with it and understand how it works set it up so you can actually track as things are coming in and out of your own network. The only difference between a, a, a production environment that's owned by a company and yours is just going to be smaller. But fundamentally, a lot of the things are going to be the same. You'll have a lot less layers, obviously, and a lot less requirements, but it's all the same idea. It's all living on the same wire. It's just a matter of where it's going, right? You have to be able to have some sort of experience doing your own lab and figuring out how things are built and also how to fix things when they break. That's really important. And it goes back to confidence. I think a lot of people might not try new things because they're afraid of breaking, breaking technology or breaking their hose. But as long as you have yourself insulated from anything that could be catastrophic, like you do something on your host machine and you get the blue screen of death and you can't get your windows up and running again. Just try to learn it and expect you're going to break things and then find ways to fix it. Cause that's a crucial yeah. skill. Break fixes a huge skill, even in cyber. Yeah, no, definitely. Thanks mate. And do you know what else I really like about what you just said there? So you said get a SEM splunk, on splunk, master it, learn how it works, learn how to potentially evade it, learn how to get around it. And I just wonder if, if we just talk about pen testing for a second, like how many pen testers have you probably interviewed or have I interviewed? Yeah, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people want to get into red teaming. But I bet there's a lot of people sat there building their own C2s, which is great. Don't get me wrong. And maybe doing some spear phishing campaigns and maybe sectioning off a group of payloads. And that's all really good fun. But how many people are sat there dissecting 
Splunk's latest SEM or whatever, because let's say that's a key part. I think there's things you can do there. There's bits you can pick out of what you just said there to probably go above and beyond and do things that other, if we talk about red teamers for a minute, that other red teamers aren't doing. And not every aspect of, again, we'll keep it on red teaming, not every aspect of red teaming is amazing. I, I speak to full chain red teamers that have dreamt about doing it all day long, but I know firsthand sometimes they're bored. Sometimes they're doing stuff. They don't like. Of course. They, yeah. Of course. <laughs> it's not all great fun. Don't get me wrong, popping that shell and so on and so forth. is Obviously, that's when they're super stimulated. But I think there's aspects to every part of learning and self-development that aren't necessarily um, what they're portrayed online or what we might think they are. I think it's important to do the hard yards as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you want to get into offensive security, let's just say red teaming again, you're going to be spending 50% of your time writing reports. If you didn't like doing book reports, if you don't like writing essays, it might not be for you because a lot of the times you can't just be a hacker. Like if you're working on a team or for a team and you're getting paid to do an engagement, the customer is paying you for that report in the knowledge you have and the skills that you provide that is then translated in that report. That report is then a tool, right? That's an act. It should be an actionable tool that the customer can then go and use and get with their team and figure out how to make it so that the things that you found are no longer an issue now and in the future. Sometimes it's a point fix, simple misconfiguration. Other times it's a whole security control that's needs to be fixed. Yeah. I have this conversation with the team internally a lot. It's, if patch management's an issue, telling them to update their systems is not the answer. Yes, they need to update their systems. But if you do the engagement, the, the same engagement next year, and the same systems are outdated again, then you didn't actually fix the problem. You put a Band-Aid on it. So a lot of it is going back to data governance. It's going back to the controls that are in place, and it's not... Hey, I got a shell. I got a shell. Oh, I exploited this person. A lot of times they don't want you to do that. We had an engagement recently where the company wanted to see if we could exfiltrate data. We could, but they put a fake file up there because it wasn't about us getting their data, right? It was about making sure that we didn't have the ability to pull anything off of their network. doesn't matter if it was proprietary or not, any data. It's cool. Like we, I still enjoy doing it. We still enjoy doing it. But it's not like I'm getting like all this information from like some unknown vector that makes me know that I knew 20 years ago that aliens existed, right? Over what happened over the last six months, for example. You know what I mean? It's like you're just you're empowering your customer to make it so that their network is safer, so their customers are safer, so their IP is safer, so their brand is safe. So they don't have something detrimental that happens that unfortunately might put them out of business. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks, Tim. I think really what it is, it's just not getting too, probably just not getting too greedy on the on, on the real fun stuff. If you write an absolutely amazing report that's really well articulated and you get on a call with an end client and you look at things from their point of view and you explain it in a nice way, do you know what, that probably means that you've probably earned the right to go and pop some shells and have some fun the week after but there's got to be a balance somewhere i think sometimes if people just get too much in the mindset of hack hack and the end goal of what we're actually all trying to do here which is 
improve security postures or if you're working on a consultancy basis, keep all your end clients happy. I think as long as you keep the end goal in mind and there's some balance there, there's still loads of fun to be had, but just probably maybe just like sometimes got to be a little bit of an overview. <laughs> yeah, and it, a lot of days, as you just alluded to, it, it's almost like a, a treasure hunt, right? The treasure hunt is the vulnerability, and you're just constantly iterating through your checklists on the target based on the things you've either experienced or read about, and finding new and unique ways to find that treasure. And that is, is super fun. If there was, a, in my opinion, a step above offensive security, it would be just the guys and gals that are doing the research, mm. right? I'm, I envy the guys at Portswigger. There's a couple of guys there, Gareth and James Kettle, a couple others too, but they're very deep in understanding the protocols of web and finding new creative techniques to exploit and publish. And they do a lot of conferences and talks on it. And, you know, that that's awesome, right? To be able to actually go and do it at a mass scale, focusing on the vulnerability itself and being able to bring that out to the community is great. But a lot of times when you're in offensive security, red teaming, it's you're looking at the customer and trying to find the vulnerabilities that they have, right? So it's a different mindset. And again, super fun, love doing it. There's nothing else at this point I would rather be doing. But, but yeah, it all has its pros and cons, like any job. Yeah. There's always going to be something in the job that you're not too much of a fan of. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Thank you, mate. Tim, you know, you know another thing, you know that, that chap that, I don't know if it was a guy or a girl, but the person that, that reached out to you, it, they waited six months and they, then they reached out. Is there a certain way that you think people should reach out for help or is there any kind of do's and don'ts? I've got a few ideas on this, but I'd be just interested to hear your thoughts because I, I just think reaching out to people that are more experienced than you, reaching out for potential mentors, reaching out for help, advice within the community, I think it's really important for career growth but i think there's a i just think there's a way there's a way to do it It'd just be nice to get your thoughts on it yeah some people will come and just say can you help me yeah maybe i don't know what do you need help with it's being specific and understand what you're looking for help on Cybersecurity, huge industry we've only been talking about the offensive side today but there's compliance there's blue team there's sock there's there's a ton of different disciplines so understand first what discipline you want or are interested in. And then from there, dig in further on the different skill sets and areas within that discipline that you might be interested in. And then if you're having some issues, ask for help. At least have an understanding as to what you're needing help with. And I'm also a believer that you shouldn't spend too much time trying to do something with until you like before you ask for help so i like waiting about an hour i work on something for about an hour and if i can't get it i start ripping my hair out and i start trying to do the same thing twice thinking that for whatever reason that my computer understands and interprets that i want it to be a certain way this next time and hoping that it does a different response than it did the previous time where it's just going to give me an error again or tell me that i'm wrong and then i ask for help right so i try to be as resourceful as possible if you spend any more than that much time, you're actually starting to impede your own self-confidence and you're taking a step back in what you're trying to do because now you're in your head and it's not a matter of understanding the technology. You're also having some self-doubt. Give as much information as you can to the person you're reaching out for help with and make sure that you're specific and be flexible on the response. 
don't get all bent out of shape if people don't respond. Even if they don't respond in a week, reach out again and say, hey, tried you before. Not Honestly, not trying to be annoying. If I am, just tell me to go away. That's cool. There's plenty of people I could ask for help with. But I didn't hear from you, so I figured I would try again. Until someone actually tells you no, they're not interested, it's not a no. It's a maybe. No one likes a maybe, right? So be persistent. And the more persistent you are in an intelligent way, the more likely someone is going to want to help you. Yeah, thank you, mate. I really like that. I just write really polite and really persistent. I think if you're those two things, you're okay. It, the reason I wanted to ask you that is because I, I think some people get this so wrong, and I won't, obviously, I won't name this person, but some, someone pinged me on LinkedIn, and this chat just put, I don't know him, and he just put, Thomas, I want to talk to you about security, question mark. Like, everyone in the commercial world's busy. Like, I'm working on two really senior roles. I'm trying to get two shortlists ready for two different clients. That means I've six, seven people that I think are all going to be really good. I want to interview them all in full. That's probably like six, seven hours of my time. There's the podcast, there's stuff going on internally within the agency. And he just literally put these few words. And I think if you're just putting that to everyone who's busy in cybersecurity right now, you're probably going to struggle. So I think what you said there about being specific actually taking a bit of time and yeah again don't get disheartened if people don't come back because everyone is busy but i think at the same time if you just ping a bit of what almost i know it's not spam but if it looks a bit generic and not too much effort's been put in i think with how busy everyone is you're probably going to struggle but on the flip side i know from when i reach out to people for the pod and stuff like that if you actually take some time to look at someone's profile and get really personalized and be thoughtful and then ask for some advice. I think you're much more likely to get it and you'll learn more and your career will, will progress better. I just think it's worth people knowing because I'm sure you get it, mate. I get all kinds of random stuff and I do try. Sometimes I'll sit there on the weekend and I'll try and get back to people. But then I'm thinking, God, like, I can't keep doing this because I do actually want to switch off sometimes. You know what it's like? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is a lot of people that I do work with, they're active in the community. They're commenting on things. They're engaged. And that goes a long way too. You might have a very generic message, but if you're very engaged with myself and other areas, then I'll still give you the time. Cool, cool. Uh, We've talked loads about social media. By the way, commenting, you're so right. Commenting is massive for visibility on on social and stuff like that. Like someone said to me, oh, I can't believe we're talking about uh, followers and likes. But at the end of the day, if it gets you more visibility, if it makes you more employable, if it helps your career progression, then as far as I'm concerned, I really care about it. So I don't mind talking about social and looking at all the analytics because if it's helping people move forward, then I'm massively all, all for it. Another thing on, on timelines, Tim, where on the subject of social and social media, it portrays this instant success a lot of the time linkedin's not as bad but i'm not on instagram but i think things like instagram aren't so good for it but the question is in terms of timelines from from getting to breaking into the industry to a mid or from getting to mid level to say director level how long should it take me that's a tough question to answer a lot of it depends on your the soft skills to be honest with you so i believe that if you believe in yourself and you believe you can learn something you will learn it and it's understanding something in a textbook or in the fundamentals of how something works 
is challenging, but I believe that is easier to do than overcoming some other soft skill challenges you might have. So like social anxiety, right? If you are somebody who would consider themselves introverted and doesn't like speaking in public or like even going on a podcast, for example, right? If you don't understand or can't speak intelligently to the business for the companies you're working with, if you can't do those sorts of skills and you're just going to be somebody who's technical, it might be a little bit harder to get to a position of, say, director of cybersecurity, right? Or of services, for example. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who just wants to be technical and that's all that they're interested in and they want to become that senior best hacker that you could possibly be, it all depends on how much time you're going to put into it. So I personally, if I'm not working, I'm probably spending 30 to 40% of my time thinking about it. How didn't I get that hack? Or I have a, um, a shell app on my phone, right? I have a JavaScript app on my phone. So if I'm on the go and I'm like, I should have tried this before, I'll literally pull up the app and I'll try it, right? It, because I, I'm obsessed with it. Like, yeah. I want to be better. So a lot of it is your mindset and your ability to persevere through it. But as it pertains to like a black and white answer, a lot of it's going to depend on what area you want to focus on and the things yeah. that you do and that you're enabled to do, really. Because a lot of times, like, you might not have the infrastructure at home or, and you might not be prepared for the opportunity with an employer to get to that senior level. You got to just pay your dues. But I think if you, at the very least, can find exploits, you can create proof of concepts in those exploits, and you can speak those exploits, you're well on your way to being on your way to a senior level. Yeah. Yeah, no, Tim, thanks. And by the way, just to just to reassure you and let you know why I think that answer was absolutely spot on, because pretty much every episode I've done with every founder or CEO, they've had a similar sort of answer when it comes to communication. Like that, it, 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 this podcast has had benefits to me for myself that I didn't actually realise, because... I've realized even more what leaders within cybersecurity want out of their staff. And like the, I knew the communication was important. I always knew, knew I did, but I didn't realize just how much emphasis the likes of yourself and other leaders within our industry were putting on it. And it's just, like you say, it's just, it's just massive. And as you get more and more up the seniority ranks, it just becomes more and more uh, more important. So yeah, it's yeah, no, mate. It's thanks, mate. It's uh, like I say, it just it reinforces it for me as a recruiter as well. It makes me think, come on, Tom, like we, we've got to <laughs> communication skills have got to be on point, or don't send them over. <laughs> so yeah, no, cool, cool. I was just back on your LinkedIn profile, by the way. Literally, as you were talking, I was going to reel off all your certs, but I've already nearly taken an hour of your time, and there's loads. But to is basically in terms of the ones that that I know employers love, you've got OSCP, OSWP, and you've got just a whole raft of you've got some serious sound certifications. What do you think certification wise? Any tips for I know we can perhaps have the OSCP conversation as well, but it'd be nice to hear. I'd love to know out of those sound certifications which one was the most beneficial to you. And by the way, for everyone listening, I'll put Tim's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So 
rather than me reeling off all these certs that I'm looking down at right now, everyone could just go and look at your certifications. But first question, out of those SAM certifications, which was the most beneficial for your career growth and why? Yeah, the I started, when I started, I did it the way I did it fundamentally. So I did GPEN first, then I did GWAPT, then I did Python. And mm. I just, based on, as I moved into different areas within Office of Security, I would then jump into different subjects. And the most important one I that helped me in my career was GCIA. Okay. So GCIA, what I really enjoyed about that class is it's more focused on understanding packets and understanding how data is transferred from point A to point B. I believe that if you want to be good at what you do, you got to understand fundamentally how the full end-to-end spectrum works. And you don't see a lot of certifications that are talking about how to basically create packets and read binary and actually understand all those weird numbers look like when you're looking at TCP dumps or Wireshark outputs, right? And the types of vulnerabilities or potential attacks that you can get and identify just by looking at these packets. And that really helped me go full circle with what I already knew to understand all the different opportunities to exploit a target because a lot of times as you go closer down to layer one you're going to have a lot less controls in place if you find potential vulnerabilities and in some of the different protocols they just aren't good when it comes to security they're built with performance in mind they're built with productivity in mind and to fix those protocols would require you to break the internet Right. And none of these organizations are going to do that. They try to find ways to make them less exploitable, but of course it's never going to be a hundred percent. So I really enjoyed that from that perspective. And of course I love GWAPT because I love web apps. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, mate. Yeah. So GCIA, I think a lot of people would look at that and they'd be thinking more of a probably blue team certification, but as for someone that's so heavily involved with offensive work, it's really interesting to hear that the cert that looks like a blue team cert has really helped you from an offensive standpoint. You can't be a good hacker if you don't understand what the team on the other side is looking for, especially a red teamer. You can't, if you can't understand what is going to cause an alert or what is going to make you found, you're never going to be able to be good at what you do. you got to understand both sides of it to really get good at it, I believe. Yeah. Oh, mate, 100%. 100%. I'll say, how are you ever going to say stealthy for start? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I'm going to fire through them. OSWP, can you give the listeners one tip for anyone listening that's preparing for that at the minute? Yeah, get yourself an access point. So you can get one pretty cheap off of whatever your favorite online marketplaces and just start analyzing the different frames. So when you're in Wi-Fi or wireless, you're doing frames, you're not doing packets. It's because it's a different layer of the network, but just focus on what happens when you try to connect to a network 
or let's say your device you're on is open to Wi-Fi, right? So it's enabled for Wi-Fi. Look at how all the different access points are trying to get you to connect to them. And then from there, you can start understanding how the Wi-Fi or wireless layer works. And then you can start understanding again what is potentially malicious, right? So that would be my recommendation for that. And also, mm -hmm. if you have the ability to do it, do attacks against yourself that would kick you off the network, right? So you can understand really what like a deauthentication looks like or a disassociation looks like and just, like I said, understand how the protocols are. Because I think if you can't understand the protocol, you're not going to understand how to hack the protocol. And OSWP is all about wireless. Cool. And mate, I have to ask you, you've got OSCP. Can I have some tips, please? So I'm working with somebody right now who's preparing for OSCP. And uh, I've done some work with them and we go through and we I help them get to where they need to get to. We take a step back and we start talking through what we did. So there's two ways I believe that you can really excel your OSCP career. And I got OSCP within a year of me starting in the industry. So it is possible, but I had a lot of resources at my disposal. One of my best friends has OSCP. So I will call him at nine o'clock at night half ticked off and half ready to just throw it and throw in the towel and say, you got to help me here. And then we talked through what I did. So you can either ask for help and accelerate it and just basically leverage other people's headaches to accelerate yourself, or you can experience the headaches yourself. You'll learn a lot by failing. Again, you're not really failing if you keep going, but you'll learn a lot. And the only way you're going to know what not to do is to run the command if you're doing it yourself, right? And seeing that it doesn't work. It's, that's very important. The other thing that I, and I don't know if OFSEC has changed the curriculum at all with their training resources, focus on privilege escalation. Make okay. sure that you spend a good amount of time focused on how do I go from normal local user to admin? And because that, in my opinion, was the hardest part. I actually didn't pass it the first time. I got local in every box, but I couldn't get the privilege escalation. So I went back and I got a hundred percent the second time I took it and I finished it in 12 hours because I knew how to do, it. I just couldn't figure out that privilege piece. Okay, mate. So okay, mate. Yep. just one little lab time. What do you reckon is the optimal amount of hours to purchase? I would purchase, if you don't have much experience, I'd purchase as long as possible. Okay. Um, I think it's 90, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's 90, but I don't know what the costs are for that. So a lot of it depends on what the budget is for the person who's going to get it. But again, if you have a network of people who are taking it or have taken it, you can probably get away with less lab time. So it all depends on the way that you want to go about learning it. Okay, mate. Wicked. This is my final question, Tim. Thank you, mate. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I keep, this is an hour and seven, so we'll... I don't know if we're quite at the record for the longest episode, but we're not far off. Book podcast that's had the biggest, most positive effect on your offensive or cybersecurity career so far. What resources? Yeah, resources, but it could be a book, it could be a yep. podcast, it could be learning resources. Um, yeah, just any anything that you think's had a real positive effect that the listeners would really shouldn't be missing out on. So this, I think we should let everybody know, this is not being sponsored by anybody, but I will say LinkedIn. I get so, okay. my whole feed is literally 
bug bounty attacks that people are posting or new books that they just found. And I spend a lot of my time there. Just I'm not somebody who believes that if you try to connect with me, I'm just, you can follow me. That's fine. Most of the people that who follow me, I connect with because a lot of them have things that help me. And I get so, I'm constantly cutting and pasting from LinkedIn to my own, like either file folder or my Slack channel or something. So I don't forget it. That's been the biggest one. I've also enjoyed some of the books that either technology from the early days, like DARPA and back when it was at MIT and they were building the first network. I enjoyed books on that. I also enjoyed the cult. The, the book on the cult of the dead cow. So the first like real hacking group that actually found a DEF CON. I enjoyed that book a lot just because it, it's like coming out of the same time as the movie hackers does. I tried my best not to bring it up this podcast, but of course, <laughs> it happened. But it's all in that same time period. Right. And I feel like you can't understand where we are today. If you don't understand where we came from yeah. as an industry. So I really enjoy those just to kind of get that full picture, not just, you know, again, where we came from a hacking community, but also as a, just a technology community in general. Because what's interesting about the technology community, which I talk about a lot in cybersecurity, is that everything that we do in technology has been built initially for increased production and performance, right? Our ability to produce and move faster, to accelerate our day to make our company more money what have you right but if you are only focused on those areas are those the most important what do you think is going to take a backseat yeah it's going to be the security piece understanding where the mindset was when this all began to where we are today again it helps you understand where the opportunities are that maybe people haven't found yet to exploit new targets brilliant thank you tim i think that's a good place to finish my friend is there anything I haven't asked that I should have asked? Or are we okay? No, I think we're good, Tom. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate <laughs> it. It was, mate. Honestly, mate. And honestly, I honestly feel like we could we could talk. We could keep going, mate. But there's loads in this. I'm trying to do more sound bites, so people can just again on LinkedIn they can just listen to a sound bite and little things you said on personal development and certificate. I can hear already where some sound bites are coming out. So. Yeah, it'd be good. Tim, thank you, my friend. Really enjoyed that. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks again, Tim.